0: It's time for Series 3 of Shooting the Breeze. As we continue our focus on women's basketball, we'll be talking to more of the amazing players in the WNBL, the coaches that inspire them, those people behind the scenes that do so much for the sport, as well as so many more from across the Australian women's basketball landscape and beyond. It's the 42nd WNBL season, the longest-running women's professional league in the country, and this year... 2022, Sydney will stage the FIBA Women's World Cup, featuring the 12 best women's teams on the planet, playing right here on our turf. There's so much to come in this season, subscribe, like and review our podcast so we can get more Hoops content to you. We want to welcome on board the Island Pacific Soap Company as our first commercial partner. They make high-quality, all-natural, handcrafted bath soap. Check them out online, and a big shout-out to Paul for all the support.
1: Um, Never assume that um, just because someone's performing on the court or on the field that everything's perfect, you know, behind the curtain. And the value in actually taking the time to find out uh, what is going on, you know, in, in a person's lives... Sammy
0: Wloskowski, better known as Sammy W, is well known by WNBL, WNBA and EuroLeague teams and their superstar athletes. In his role in player management at SIG Sports, he's forged solid and meaningful long-term relationships with some great Aussie basketball talent. It was a real treat for us to get an insight into his world of working alongside and supporting athletes at all stages of their professional sporting life. Hailing from Melbourne, sammy is currently based in washington dc and has a courtside view of the best female hoopers in the world we really got into the human elements and stark realities that face professional athletes his own journey and the inspiration drawn from walking alongside some legendary players welcome to shooting the breeze joining myself and my co-host jacinta Gavin today it's sammy washkovsky director of basketball personnel at Sports International Group from the United States. Sammy, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you very much for having me. Really glad to be here.
0: Yeah, really appreciate your time. And both of us have been really looking forward to this one. And I'm going to start off with kind of a bit of an odd approach, but I want to find out from you, what does an agent do? Because I think a lot of people, their their first introduction to the world of, of sports agency was through watching Jerry Maguire, and I'm pretty sure life must be very different to that.
1: No, Tom Cruise hangs out at our office. That's pretty much it. Um, <laughs> no, we are, yeah, it's a great question, Paul, because it's really not, um, it's really not a one-size-fits-all. You know, the old model of, of player management used to be, you know, a contract law expert would negotiate a player's contract and dot the I's and cross the T's, and that was the, the extent of it. But for me now, you know, the job is really more holistic than that. I would actually say the contract negotiation is probably the smallest part of my job now. So for me, I, I just define it as managing a player's career, and and that means mapping out a pathway to help an athlete achieve their full potential. Um, negotiating the contracts is a piece of that puzzle, but it's a very small piece to be honest. And the majority is managing a personality to you know to put people in positions to succeed. You know, finding out what makes people tick, um, and creating an environment around them that's conducive to. You know to to them really getting the absolute most out of their career as, as humanly possible, and in that process preparing them for their post career um, so that when they transition out of sport, it's not as rocky a process as as it once was.
0: That's an interesting point because it's it's something that we've talked about a number of times on the podcast. That whole transition from being an athlete to post-athletic career. How do you you manage that, or how do you assist players in managing that transition?
1: I'll say that the difficulties with that is actually one of the key drivers that got me into player management. Um, My background was in athlete career development, and I did a lot of work with the Victorian Institute of Sport, the New South Wales Institute of Sport, and a couple of professional sporting teams. Um, And it was really the most difficult part of an athlete's career, is transitioning out of sport. And the biggest reason for that is that, being an athlete is an all-consuming endeavor. Um, it makes up almost every bit of someone's identity through the duration of their career. It's all anybody around them wants to talk to them about. Takes up all of their time, and it's almost like retirement or you know serious injury is someone flicking a switch, and you've got to find a new identity almost overnight. So smoothing that process is it's it's not easy, and what it involves is laying the groundwork early in a player's career for that point, you know, it's almost, you know, players in their first three, four years of their career don't want to talk about retirement. It's the furthest thing from their minds. Um, I've now taken the approach where when I'm recruiting a player before they are ever a client of mine, I'll talk to them about what they want to do after their career so that they understand that an expectation of working with me is that we're going to lay some bricks on that road, you know, before we get to that point at that point, at the point of retirement, that's too late to start that process of what am I going to do for the rest of my life? Because that window of being an athlete, it's really only a small percentage, hopefully, of of a person's life. And you've got to use that time wisely to make the most of it um, to maximize your athletic career, but you've also got to use it wisely to maximize your post-athletic career.
2: Can I ask quickly, uh, Sammy, I really enjoy so far the points you've made about uh, taking a holistic approach and also encouraging your athletes to um, have a more richer sense of identity, like of who they are off the court as well. Um, And I know that in the past, you have done some, a lot of athlete development and welfare, I think I saw on your LinkedIn profile in that sense. So what are some of the things when you're working with an athlete and helping them shape this identity, particularly young athletes who have probably come up through the ranks of sport and an athlete has been the strong crux of their identity and all that they've really known as a young person. So what are some of the other ways that you, you know, approach an athlete or work with an athlete to explore other parts of their identity that you would see as important?
1: Well, and it's a great question, Jacinda, and, and really it revolves around what they'd like to spend the rest of their lives doing. And if they don't know that, then working through that process as a careers counsellor is part of that. Once they discover what it is they'd like to be doing or a couple of areas they'd like to explore, we really try to turn the negative into a positive. And that is people view I'm so consumed by my time as an athlete that I I don't really have the time to invest in this. But on the other side of the coin, because you're an athlete, everybody wants to talk to you. Everybody wants to get to know you. There, There are some doors unlocked that might not be being taken advantage of, for example, the board members at the club you're playing for. Might have, uh, might have access to opportunities in the field you're interested in. You know, there's, there's networking opportunities that, that come with being an athlete that we need to tap into. I mean, we've had players put business cards together that have their details, even though the profession says athlete, so that when they meet someone of interest at a club function, they have a business card to hand to that person to connect. And, and maybe it's, you know, you, you pursue that connection to tag along at their work for a week, Um, almost as like a work experience intern to find out more about that field of work. So it's really turning negatives into positives. I've also had players who, you know, suffer serious injuries early in their career. And that process is obviously, you know, a little bit of grieving that goes on with that. But immediately we turn the focus within 48 hours to, okay, we're going to use this time. What do you want to use it for? And I've had players, you know, that might have been under contract with a team to, to play for that team. Unfortunately, contract a serious injury, but wanted to pursue coaching in the future. So, we've approached the team about turning it into an assistant coaching contract and saying, okay, you're now responsible for advanced scouting. You're now sitting in on these meetings that you weren't sitting in on as a player. um, And we're going to turn this negative into a positive. And so, it's just finding little opportunities, little gaps in the schedule, things like that, to lay some groundwork for developing a post athletic career identity.
0: From my point of view, one of the interesting things that you were talking about there was the fact that you're trying to introduce the athletes quite early on in the piece into that wider world. Have you developed strategies and approaches to be able to try and make that as effective as possible for the athletes? Because you're taking them out of the environment that they're really comfortable in and moving them into an environment where they may not feel that same level of comfort.
1: I think it's I think it's situation by situation. I think players are ready to hear that at different points. There are also, we're very fortunate in Australian basketball that there are unbelievable mentors that players can look to within this space for people who have done it very, very well. My first client in the space was Jenny Screen. And to me, she is the ultimate role model. I mean, she is just kicking goal after goal right now. And I think we're very fortunate that you know, Australian basketball players can look to some of their heroes who have done this well. There are players who are, you know, I'll sit down with them and their family in a recruiting meeting and they'll have a life plan mapped out and they'll be ready to, you know, to to lay that groundwork during their playing career. And they'll know which online courses they want to undertake during their years where they're going to play in Europe and things like that. And there are some that'll be resistant to talking about anything other than basketball for a couple of years. And for them, it's you know we've got to chip away at that so that they can understand the importance of doing this work early and that's where you know with respect to being an agent I'm not the right agent for everyone you know I am I'm someone who firmly believes in doing this work early but there are players that won't want to and that's okay then they might not be best suited to be a client of mine they might be better suited to work with someone who's less annoying about that stuff
2: I was a question for me that popped up in that was a level of accountability as well so it sounds like you're developing with your athletes from the start a very thorough and meaningful relationship um, in a lot of aspects of their life so I imagine you have to work quite closely together Um, but in a sense when an athlete has particular goals outside of sport for example the online courses What is the the discussion around a level of accountability with that? Like how much accountability do you feel as their agent to ensure that they're keeping on track with those goals as well? Somewhat. Somewhat
1: because, you know, I mean, we're not talking about children here. We're talking about grown adults who are, some, you know, the most elite in the world at what they do. None of them need a babysitter. These are bona fide superstars. But it is definitely important for me to know what they're doing to be able to, you know, it's an important part of their life. So it forms an important part of our discussions, our check ins. You know, to be able to, to to keep tabs. If they're struggling, you know, that's something that I definitely want to know about. If they're struggling with time management, that's something I want to know about. And it's funny; it's it's actually it's actually one of the main reasons why I got into player management. I, you know, I was working at the New South Wales Institute of Sport, and I had contact with a lot of Olympic athletes in that time, and a lot of them were struggling with managing, whether, you know, university exams or, you know, something like that with that, had, that clashed with training, for example. And, you know, naturally I would call their agents, keep them in the loop while I was managing it and, you know, negotiating different exam dates, things like that. And I got a very consistent response from agents, which was that, hey, we're just here to do the contracts. And my reaction to that was quite aghast. Because agents are, you know, are taking a, a reasonable chunk of a player's salary and you've got to be doing more than looking over a contract for that. You know, If we're talking about WNBL or WNBA players, those contracts are, you know, are mostly standardised. We're just negotiating the dollars and cents. It's everything you do in between that really brings value to a, a player-agent relationship.
0: So on that point, because one of the things that I've found very interesting is that SIG Sports defines itself as a full-service agency. Again, you know, th- that's a pretty broad definition. You've obviously gone into this uh, into this detail with us about your approach to player management. One of the things that I noticed is that from your client list on the website, the agency's got a lot of you know, very, very high profile athletes. And, and I don't mean this to be trite but SIG Sports is not a WME or an IMG, or but it seems to me that, that as an agency, you punch above your weight. And is it because you're bringing this approach into it as part of your description as a full-service agency?
1: It, it is, and we're not the first agency to use the term full-service agency. It is because of that. Ultimately, it's a relationship-based industry, and so we are fortunate enough to represent a large chunk of the WNBA, but we also have three women's basketball agents Within the company, doing that, we have a marketing department, we have legal department for when players run into trouble in Europe um, on, on payments and, and whatnot, um, and we're obviously looking at the bigger picture. We're looking at career development, as I mentioned, and things like that. We're building brands for players, and so when we talk about a full service agency, that's what we mean. It means that we're not just here for you on you know on game day. Um, it's it's whatever you need beyond that, and that very much differs from player to player you know it's been a difficult couple of years Paul to be honest with you because I haven't been able to travel to Australia during the COVID era this is the first opportunity I've had to get back home in a couple of years so I'm you know I'm I'm getting face to face with my clients again which has felt like just a wonderful normal Um, you know I sat down with a player last week and I said you know you know you joined up with us and, and and then COVID hit and so we haven't really been able to do these regular face-to-face check-ins. And, um, you know, I so, said, you know, what do you need? Think of anything you need and, uh, and you can ask me if it's something we do. And he said, you know, this was a male player. And he said, well, what about Instagram verification? So d- done, you know, done, 24 hours later. Um, you know, what about this? What about this? And, and these are all things that, you know, are part of developing the relationship with the player. That's, that's what we mean when we say full service. But honestly, the last couple of years, you know, it's been difficult to kind of have those natural face-to-face conversations about what can we do to help beyond just your deals. And finally, thankfully, uh, I know many people are still hurting um, from COVID, but it, it does feel like we are getting back to that a little bit, you know, crowds and arenas and face-to-face interactions. So I'm definitely thankful for that.
2: And what I really like about your agency and your roster as well, Sammy, is you boast a lot of incredible female basketball talent, both WNBA and WNBL. So you've got the likes of uh, Leilani Mitchell and Alex Bunton. And when you boast such a high level of female athletes on your roster and providing a full service agency, I imagine a lot of conversations in terms of uh, childcare and um you know, considerations for family and things like that must come in into play as well.
1: well you, you mentioned two of the the greatest stories, I think, yes. in, in, in Australian basketball and just two just incredible, wonderful humans, wonderful mothers and just like when I talk about players having, you know, examples of great mentors, you know, I think those two, Bunsen and lay are, are just really fantastic humans in the way they go about things. And yes, there is definitely a layer of complexity that that comes into when a player has their own family to look after as well. And, you know, Lays Lay's had some of those challenges to deal with going over to the WNBA and back as well, Um, you know, having to be out of the country a little bit over the last couple of years. And she's just fantastic in the way she manages her career, her life, her family. I think she's just one of the most wonderful role models in Australian basketball. And and then, you know, you look at what Alex Bunton's done this year. Is there a better story in Australian basketball right now than someone who's come back from what she's come back from and is now using her position to create awareness for, you know, to to hopefully stop someone else going through what she went through and performing at an elite level for probably the best team in the league with a, you know, for her first time playing with her daughter on the sidelines, I, I think that's just, these are superheroes
0: we're talking about, quite frankly. <laughs> oh, I have to agree with you, Sammy. I mean, we've had Bunts on the podcast and we had uh, Opal kind of drop in for a little bit of it. <laughs> yeah, it, it seems to me that that whole concept now of being a more rounded individual is becoming more widely accepted because if we go back a few years, it was almost as though people would say, oh, you've had, you're a mum, that's it, your career is over, mm-hmm. and now that's changing.
1: And and thank God for that, because yeah, like I said, we we have these superheroes to show us what's possible, and that path might not be for everyone, but for those who you know who want to um you know who want to pursue playing, and Abby Bishop's another one, you know she's done a wonderful job as well, you know there are there are wonderful examples around our league of just super mums who are super athletes as well, and thankfully you know that the the, uh, the Australian Basketball Players Union have pushed things forward to the point where it's now less you know, financially restrictive for a player to compete as a mother in this league and there are supports around that and and I think that's a huge step forward that the league has taken in recent years and we're seeing the benefit because we're having players continue to play in the league in scenarios where they otherwise might have had to take a, a, you know, a several-year hiatus. So we're, you know, we're the winners in this.
2: I'm probably jumping a bit ahead here as well but I thought while we're on this kind of topic of the great female athletes that you represent and can I say, represent so well as well. Did you intend to, like when you started SIG Sports, was it a, an, an intention, like a purposeful intention to make sure you had a lot of female athletes on your roster or was it just kind of a natural development of how when your agency was growing?
1: I think it was natural. I mean, SIG Sports existed prior to myself coming over to the US 10 years ago and Six Sports started as a women's basketball agency. Um, we were essentially the first women's basketball agency. We were founded by Boris Olchitsky, who was a coach in the EuroLeague in Russia. Um, and he came over to the US uh, and found that a lot of these elite talents needed some support in negotiating their contracts or getting overseas. At that time, it was, you know, three VCRs stacked on top of each other to, to record highlights packages and, you know, send out um, VHS tapes to, um, you know, to teams in Europe. And that was kind of how women's basketball player management began. We began a men's basketball division about 13 years ago, um, which I also work in. But we are founded in women's basketball. My first clients were Neil Mottram and Jenny Screen, who are, if you know them, two of the most amazing humans on earth. You know, I was just very lucky that that they gave me an opportunity before I'd represented any basketball players. Jenny played uh, quite a few more years. Um, while working with me. And through that, yeah, um, and through Screeny, and, and I guess the, the I guess, gravitas that came with working with such a legend, that's kind of how my career gravitated initially more towards women's basketball. Um, my time is somewhat of a 50-50 split, but I'm very, very proud of the elite female talent that I'm privileged to work with, and that they, they trust me to guide their careers in the right direction. And Quite frankly, just into it, it, started with screening.
0: I find it really interesting that the SIG Sports started with women's basketball and has grown because, and again, as for context, it's now expanded into coaches and other sports as well. Do you see that there's a need for, for an agency like your own to focus on the coaching careers of female coaches, particularly? Because it seems to me that in some places, female coaches don't necessarily get the respect and opportunities that they deserve.
1: Yeah, I think there's definitely space for that in this industry. You know, coach management, it's almost a different profession in a lot of ways to player management. Um, We're talking about a different age group. We're talking about a really different lifestyle, that of a coach to that of a player, a different set of physical demands, different set of family demands. I definitely think there's room for that. And I think that that there is room to use that to, you know, promote women's coaches in this space because you know we are privileged to have some of the some of the best women's coaches in the world, you know. Obviously, Sandy Bondello is a great example of that, and and she's had great success, you know, in the WNBA and, and with our Opals. And there are plenty of young women's basketball coaches, and, and not just women coaching women, women coaching men as well. That there is definitely space for the coaching management to use that as a vehicle to advance our great young female coaches and I also think Basketball Australia have a program um, that's designed to that end as well and um, I believe Liz Mills is part of that program and one of my clients Natty Hurst is part of that program as well so there's you know there is definitely a realization now of the value add there that women bring to the coaching side of things.
2: So Natty Hurst is quite interesting actually did you represent Natty when she was a player as well, or just at now when she's a coach?
1: I was very fortunate to represent Natty through the, the latter stages of her career as a player when she went to Europe um, for a period, and then when she came back to the WNBL for those last few years, and Natty is an absolute legend of the game.
2: Oh, absolutely. Cannot agree more with that.
0: One of the things that fascinates me is the approach to the players, right, to, to potential clients. Is it typically that they are approaching you because of the profile that you have? Is it through references from your existing clients, or is there a method of proactively identifying talent? that you look at
1: i would say it's it's a mix of all of those paul well, it starts with you know myself proactively identifying talent i watch a lot of basketball which is not a bad way to spend uh, one's professional time <laughs> 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 um and you know i i try to identify you know the best young talent um those who have the potential to play for the opals um, those who have the potential to play in the wnba We're not a quantity over quality agency we're trying to to focus on you know the future young stars of australian basketball and so there are those that are at college or coming through the wnbl development player ranks that we watch quite closely Um, we have players referred to us through their teammates or coaches who think we'd be a good fit and and then the initial reach out is usually through phone or social media to them or their parents depending on their age to let them know they're a player of interest for us and that when they're comfortable and would like to meet with us, we'd be interested in doing so. And, and then there's really a bit, of a, a bit of a feeling out process because, as I said before, I, I'm not the right agent for everyone. Every agent has a different approach, a different you know, point of difference. And as much as you know, I'm spending that time figuring out if they're the right player for me, they're doing likewise as they should be. Their parents are usually doing likewise. And if everyone agrees at the end of the day that it's a fit and that I can help their career and that there's somebody that um, I think would represent us the right way as well, then we proceed and we, you know, we make things official and get to work.
0: And obviously, I can see that you do spend quite a bit of time staying on top of what's happening with your athletes. When we were organizing this podcast, I remember you were saying you were going to be watching a game that, uh, jock landale was playing in and so you're obviously taking uh, an interest in your clientele not only from from their game but also from what you've said it's that whole holistic approach that you're trying to take to not only assist them reactively but also proactively be able to try and guide would, would that yeah. be correct
1: yeah that would be and, and look i try and watch pretty much every one of my players' games where possible. There are scenarios where that's that's just not possible. Um, I am a father as well, but try and stay on top of how every player is progressing on court and off court as best as possible and then, you know, proactively guide them through what they're going through. There are some players that are maybe more self-sufficient or maybe less, you know, um, communicative or might want, you know, check-ins a little more sparsely apart. And there are some that, you know, that would like feedback on their games, on a regular basis and so the job is really about spending time getting to know people and being able to work with what actually helps that individual person and that is different from client to client that's that's the beauty of the job for me um is that you really get to know amazing people and how they function and, and what helps them and and then relate to that
2: yeah i really like that idea of treating uh well i shouldn't say treating but working with every athlete as an individual there isn't a a blanket template of um, how to work with people and how to work to people especially when the ultimate goal is to help that person reach their ultimate potential in in all facets of life you know we've talked a little bit before about the strong relationships that you try and foster since day dot with your athletes too Um, but I'm really interested in learning about how you as an agent obviously you have to like you said you're a dad Um, you've obviously got a really great life off court when you're not an agent as well so what are, what are some of the ways that you set boundaries for yourself to make sure that you're also getting that balance in your lifestyle?
1: Well, that's a great question. And, and this is an area where I've definitely gotten better by necessity over the last few years. Um, I have a three and a half year old and a four month old. And, you know, one of the, the biggest things, Jacinta, is carving out a two hour window when I get home where it's dinner time with the girls and bath time and bedtime and any calls during that window of time are going to wait because I, I, I am 24-7. My phone is next to me right now. It never leaves, you know, arm's reach for me. But one of the big, you know, even from a mental health perspective for myself, one of the big steps forward that I've taken is carving out a window to be, you know, to be a husband and dad. And then after that time, you know, that's, that's 7 p.m. In, in Washington, D.C., where I live. Uh, that equates to 11 a.m. in, in Melbourne and Sydney. Um, or 9 a.m. At, at you know other times of the year, and that's when the phone starts ringing again. So it's really important for me to have that window of time where I can can lock in and be a dad and be a husband and have dinner with my family. So that's one of the ways that kind of I find that balance for myself.
0: You mentioned that that you're a dad of two daughters. I suppose one of the, the key things that I've found as, with two daughters is that the ability for them to be able to see athletes like they have in the WNBL has been very inspirational for them. Do you think that your kids, as they get older, will have that ability to see role models that will help them, you know, progress in their life?
1: Absolutely, absolutely. And, look, my daughters probably aren't going to be blessed with the hype gene from me. Um, So (laughs) from a basketball perspective, they might be working off a little bit of a disadvantage, but um, I actually... You took my, uh, my three-year-old to her first game, you know, uh, in a couple of years last Sunday. And right after the game, she said to me, Daddy, could I play basketball like them? And my heart just melted because mm-hmm. that's that's why you do it, you know, um, so that she can see options for herself and, you know, just to, just to know that there are really no limitations as you grow older and that you have these amazing mentors you know, I have I have clients with kids who, you know, we're trying to set up play dates for them and my daughters. And, you know, what could be better than that than to have, you know, clients who are just winning at life, even more so than they are on the court and share my family with their
2: family. And,
1: you know, I think that's a beautiful thing.
2: And you've got little poker yeah, rockets I, I, like um... Abby Cabillo on your, on your roster. So I want to be counting... Counting them out uh, in terms of height. If height's going to be an issue, you've got Abby Kavilo and Leilani Mitchell paving the way as a little pocket <laughs> rocket. So anything's possible.
1: Absolute legends.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I've I got to say, I know that from seeing how my daughters have reacted to their time with people that they've met through the WNBL, the level of inspiration that they get is amazing and also just the recognition when they, they – because they don't quite get it right up until a certain point point, then they go, this person actually has an Olympic medal, and you see that reaction from them, and it's just amazing because you can see that the penny drops, and they know, I can achieve anything that I want if I really set my mind to it.
1: Exactly. These are people like me. They just work really hard, and, and they can achieve you know super, superhuman things just through work ethic and being good to others and doing things the right way, and I have that option too.
2: And that's why representation is so critical. A couple of things have come up on social media and especially having International Women's Day last week, you know, breaking the bias being the tagline. There's a lot of things popping up that are just proving that representation is so critical. And those examples that you both spoke about, whether it doesn't matter how old your daughters are when those things happen, but it will leave an imprint on them for the rest of their lives. And it's something that they can reflect on even as adults and understand the depths of that, those, how meaningful those incidents were.
1: It's one of the things we lost during the COVID era is, you know, I haven't been able to have players over at my house when they, when they played in DC and and, and things like that. So, um, you know, I'm looking forward to having that back and getting a few more Aussies over to the WNBA so we can have a few more visitors at
2: the house. That's a good perk (laughs) of getting some, uh, some talented athletes over the WNBA can have some more visitors. And I reckon I'd be keen to (laughs) come and visit you to be honest.
0: That brings up an interesting point. When players actually come over to the US from Australia to play in the WNBA, how do they find that transition? Because it, it is a whole different level.
1: You know, I, I found that Aussies are really, I don't know, battle hardened is, is the right word, well traveled, worldly. Aussies generally handle the transition quite well just because. The best Aussies have played so much junior national team ball. They've been overseas so many times. They've played against some of these players previously. There's there's not a whole lot that's new to them. Obviously, the older Aussies tend to do, you know, to do a little bit better just because they've, they're matching up against, you know, players the same age and older, you know, who are the top 1% of players in the world. But the transition, you know, for those who are away from family is a little more difficult. You know, that's an extra an extra little complication, but, you know, I found that Aussies have, have done a really incredible job at, at managing their, their transitions to, to the WNBA.
2: And say you have someone uh, like Jade Melbourne, who is a, uh, definitely a future shining light of Australian women's basketball, uh, also with Sig Sports. Say, for example, Jade got a call tomorrow to say, hey, come over to this training camp with a WNBA team. And she's like, of course, I'm ready, let's go. Say if that were to happen, say tomorrow or next week or immediately, how are you, like what, what does it look like on the ground for you in, from the point where Jade is left uh, Australia and lands in her destination in America?
1: Well, Jade's a really interesting case study because she's draft eligible this year and there's definitely a lot of interest in her and the WNBA. She could, you know, probably expect to be in the draft mix this year and when she does she'll have the option to choose does she come over now or does she hold off a year or two you know until she feels like the time is right she would be you know I, if i'm not mistaken the youngest player in the wnba if she were to come over immediately so it might be a situation where she does what some other aussies have done in recent years with success which is it's it's the draft and stash model where she lets teams know i hey, would love to play for you in the future you feel free to call my name out but I'm going to come over next year or the year after, whatever the case may be, in which case she would still be drafted but um, would delay that arrival. And when she comes over, you know, I'd be, I'd be heading right over to her new city, um, wherever that may be, meet her there. The teams do a really good job now, much better than in the past at setting players up, good quality accommodation, you know, introduce them to their city a little bit, spend a little time with them. And the first step there would be a training camp in whatever year that may be. And Jade, as with any player, would then have to go through the training camp process. She'd probably have to beat out some, you know, more experienced players to be on that opening night roster. And Jade is definitely a player who is capable of doing that. And then she's officially a WNBA player. And from there, she's she's on the road very frequently. I'm seeing her whenever she's in in Washington DC. I'm seeing her, you know, a few times on the road as well. I'm fortunate to have a few other WNBA cities that are not too far from where I live. New York is, is driving distance away, for example. So, you know, I get several opportunities to see a player, an Aussie player, when they're in the WNBA uh, much more frequently, I guess, than I do when when they're, you know, just in Australia and to stay in frequent communication. And, you know, a decision like that with Jade is, is one that, you know, we, we talk through all year and we'll continue to talk through up to the draft date next month and we'll see what happens.
2: Yeah, definitely I, exciting times.
0: Yes. Can I ask? To me, it's really interesting because watching Jade at the Asia Cup, she was not only giving 110% on the floor, but she was also giving 110% on the bench. Um, <laughs> you know, I mean, look, the camera would quite often gravitate to her on the bench because her excitement was just so obvious. Does that sort of off-the-court attitude factor in significantly into choices that coaches make overseas in relation to who they're looking at selecting?
1: I'd hope so. I'd hope so. I mean, you're seeing with, with your own eyes from afar that Jade's a wonderful teammate. And, you know, Patty Mills certainly got a lot of recognition for, you know, fulfilling that role the way he did over his tenure at the Spurs. And, and Jade's like that. She, she just cares about her teammates. She cares about winning doesn't care all that much about individual stats and, and that's, you know, I try to put myself in the shoes of a general manager for these new processes and what could I want more than that and someone who is capable of helping the team win and um, is going to find any way to do that even when they're off the court.
0: So following on from that kind of thought process, can you give us an insight into what sort of things coaches in the WNBA look at when they're looking at players from Australia, it's got to be more than just stats.
1: Well, coaches in the WNBA love Aussie's toughness, and and rightly so. And like I said, our Aussie players tend to come ready to play. You know, playing in the WNBA is a battle. Um, It's a physical battle on the court. The travel is a battle. It's not the easiest lifestyle in the world. And Aussies tend to just come ready to, you know, the hat on and, and boots on and just come ready to work and ready to help a team win. So... We're very skillful, very talented, very good humans, usually, very high character players who just come ready to work. And so the feedback that I get is that, you know, all things considered, if there's an Aussie out there that, you know, is up to the level of of playing in the WNBA and helping a team win, the team's going to look quite closely at them. And we've seen a lot of our talented players, you know, take advantage of that.
2: Yeah, I think it's a really important thing to cover, Paul, in a sense of what coaches look for, because... You know, when we have athletes as juniors, they're always encouraged to make sure that, you know, your time management's on point, Um, you're a good teammate. Uh, Obviously, you're doing the work uh, in your own time. So when it comes to game time, you can perform. And I think it's still really important to focus on that sense of being a great teammate and being someone that is going to give 110% on the bench or on the court, like Jade Melbourne very clearly does. Because when you say, Sammy, that coaches want someone as a whole package that's going to ultimately help the team win I think all of those things off court are still just as important as what they're putting on court in helping a team win it's about like being a great teammate buying into the team culture all that kind of stuff so it's super important that I think kids still grow up knowing that regardless of what level you're playing at it's not just how many points you score it's how many kind of points you're scoring with your teammates as well Sorry, Paul, what were you going to jump in and say before? If you're still there, I think you're still on mute, Paul. Uh, I thought I'll go a bit off track while we're waiting for Paul to reconnect. But um, I do know, you know, when I was looking at some of your history and how you got to the point of your current role at Sig Sports as an agent, I noticed you did work for the Melbourne AFL Club as well. Um, and it was really yes, inter- very interesting. interesting. Yeah, it was really interesting because, um, you know, I, coming in and thinking we're going to talk to Sammy, great sports agent, and then when I've researched some of the parts of your role at Melbourne where it included things like, you know, off-field player development and employment options and, accommod- you know, setting them up with accommodation, so really buying into the full-service agency stuff that Sig Sport could pride themselves on. But what were some of the big lessons that you learnt from your role when you were with the Melbourne AFL club that you now still adopt into your current role.
1: I think the biggest one is the firstly individuality. You know, when you're working with um, certainly there were more players there that I was working with on a day to day basis than as an agent because you you've got a roster size of roughly 50 players at that at that point in time, and every player is different. You can't have the same expectations of you know communication support structure needs etc for every single athlete and the other part is the prevalence of the struggles that you can't see you know when we're working with AFL players who quite frankly I grew up you know almost idolizing I was a Melbourne football club fan and member from the day I was born some of these guys are my heroes and, and, and some of them are working with struggles that you couldn't anticipate or couldn't see and You know, I think that's a great lesson to to never assume, you know, with players, um, with athletes, never assume that you know what's going on behind the scenes. Um, Never assume that um, just because someone's performing on the court or on the field that everything's perfect, you know, behind the curtain. And the value in actually taking the time to find out uh, what is going on, you know, in, in a person's lives. And where are the areas that you might need help? And you can find out a lot about a, a player just by investing the time. That's really what it is. Just just be present, invest time, and that's what equips you to be able to provide the support that's appropriate to that person's individual needs.
2: Yeah, I'm really glad that you you touched on those unseen issues um, and the prevalence of the unseen issues because it's so easy as fans or Dep- the varying levels of fans whether you're a surface fan whether you're the type of fan who likes to get on social media and say your piece about the team's performance and athlete's performance and I feel like so many of those opinions and tensions and and backlash in in some situations can be resolved if we had a stronger understanding of the full scope of what it is actually to be an athlete and those things that are being unseen so I'm just interested to learn if if you've seen similar issues that other athletes are living with across different sports, different leagues, different countries, if it's, it seems to be common themes that athletes are, are having experiences with.
1: There are definitely common themes and at the end of the day, we're all humans and, and we're dealing with human issues. An athlete's job is a profession just like being an agent is my profession there's a lot to my life outside of that and there's a lot to an athlete's life outside of outside of them showing up to training shoot around game day etc and really there are you know there are obviously a wide range of potential issues you know not just the obvious ones of you know, the, the mental challenge of dealing with injuries and whatnot. But we're, we're all humans. We, we deal with human problems and you need to spend time with people to find out what those are and to work through how to fix those. And now I'm not I'm not going to sit here and tell you I'm equipped to fix all of those myself. I'm certainly not. But I am equipped to point someone in the right direction often. And, you know, it's, it's the time investment. There, where you learn what direction a person needs to be pointed in, and maybe it is something that I can help with. Maybe someone just needs an ear, and it's it's, it's important to to me to be someone who is available to, to be that ear.
0: Do you find that the challenges that the athletes are facing are evolving in respect of you know they've got a higher profile? There's uh, social media is everywhere. Do you find that the the issues that the players face are changing? And have different pressure points.
1: Yeah, some of them are definitely. And, and social media you touched on is is the big one. Fans have access to players in a way they haven't historically, um, and that's a blessing and a curse. You know, I think I think fans have the opportunity to connect with some of their heroes in a way that's really meaningful, and, and athletes have that as a venue to build their brand and, and you know, likewise connect with fans. But it's also a double edged sword. You know, um, just we spoke about you know, that, that uh, the, the average fan doesn't and shouldn't know what an athlete's dealing with behind the scenes and that social media will unfortunately always be an avenue for fans to, to lash out inappropriately um, as they see fit. It's very difficult to rein that in and forever will be. So that creates, you know, a new series of challenges. You know, how do you manage that? How do you, how do you build authentic relationships with your fans through social media? when half the time you just want to tell your athletes get off social media don't read the comments so that is evolving quite frankly and and the other one is as a, an athlete progresses through their career and as leagues you know in their entirety progress to the point where you know our great wnbl athletes some of them are now household names your public profile increases and there are new challenges that come with that and so there's an evolution there in you know, how to manage, you know, a series of off-the-court, you know, hurdles and, and difficulties that might come up through a player's career. And those are very, very unique, obviously, to the life of an athlete. There's no, you know, they're, they're human issues, but they're they're fairly unique to, you know, someone with a public persona.
0: Have you noticed if there's a correlation between the rise of, I'll call it more inappropriate statements towards athletes, and the prevalence of gambling and online gambling,
1: well, I certainly think it's I th- certainly think it's possible. You know, I, I'll often be watching a game online, and the comments on the side will be people venting about <laughs> about you know the, the the lines and all sorts of things that don't have much to do with the actual you know flow of the game. And you know, in that in that circumstance, they're not venting directly to the player. So you know, I see that as it is what it is. But there is a carryover there. You know, there might be one or two of those that, that, that jump on social media and, you know, a, a shot when you're down by 10 at the buzzer that's missed might have, you know, cost someone some money somewhere and they want to vent about it. So I, I do think that gambling and that's where, you know, the increased profile of the league can, you know, create a new series of battles and obstacles that we have to work our way through.
0: And as an agency... What sort of guidance do you provide? Because you, you were saying before that you assist your athletes with social media through your marketing team and so on. What sort of guidance do you give them in relation to social media? Is there a great takeaway for people who are listening about what can be done to, to better manage that whole thing? Don't feed the trolls.
1: <laughs> it, it, it's funny you ask, Paul. I mean, I've been a victim of it myself. And, um, you know, I, I had a really interesting conversation with my wife about it when it happened. You know, it was, it was interesting to be able to relate to what my, my clients had, gone, had been going through on that front. Uh, I, I do want players to use social media and I want them to use it to create authentic connections with their fans because that, that's really valuable. I also want them to, you know, to promote their sponsors, to use it as a healthy vehicle to air their thoughts, to share who they are. I think there is a really healthy way to use social media. I think you have to be quite, quite decisive about which comments and replies you engage with. And really, sometimes that does come down to just don't feed the trolls. And it's as simple as that, because there is there is a huge benefit, you know, engaging and doing it the right way.
0: Yeah, over the years I've seen a lot of it where you see some really, really positive engagements taking place and then kind of out of the blue you get this really strange wave of negativity that comes through on social media. I have to admit I'm surprised that you were trolled yeah, I mean and again please don't take this the wrong way but why would someone troll <laughs> a player agent
1: <laughs> well, I could tell you what happened uh, there was a certain team in Europe that wanted my player to join them and they thought that 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 player was uh, a certainty to do so that player ended up signing in Australia and someone went on social media and said sammy Vlasovsky is the worst thing to ever happen to basketball <laughs> <laughs> and and, I, and I, I said oh well that's that's quite the claim and I I looked into it and it was a a diehard fan and season ticket holder of the European team and okay it is what it is so you know for me I could have a laugh about it because it's one it's one comment Um, when it's a barrage you know that's another story and you know for a lot of high profile players that is what happens when they choose one team over another they do get that and you know, as as I said, as as leagues grow in prominence, the you know, the fan base grows as it should. But when a fan base grows, you know, the the trolls per fan base <laughs> grows as well. So we just have to manage that cautiously and you know, for some it's one or two posts here or there and, and they can laugh it off. But for those who get a barrage of that, that definitely affects someone's mental well being and their reticence to pick up their phone and, you know, scroll and so we try to have a good feel for what's going on, what's being said about our players out there and if something needs to be managed there, you know, we we'll, we'll try to manage it.
0: Okay. So, oh, sorry, Jacinta, yeah. did I get in your way?
2: No, no, not at all. I was just purely going to make a comment and Sammy's Sammy's experience of being trolled is a good example of just how extreme some of the comments online can be um, from someone who has never met you, very likely will never meet you but has the Uh, audacity I guess to make such an extreme comment and through our little chats about this kind of social media stuff and the navigation of I suppose it comes down to setting some boundaries between when to engage when not to engage how to engage the thing that comes to mind for me is the whole Ben Simmons situation in a sense that we didn't know what was happening behind closed doors we only saw what was available in the media and now that he has taken steps to carry on with his career with a new club the barrage that he got in all different directions was extreme. Mm. So I think that I just thought that some of those things that you were talking about really reminded me of that and an, an example of the complexities of how important being after your athlete and how important agents such as yourself, Sammy, walking side by side with some of these athletes, how important that is.
1: It could snowball, you know. Uh, you know, Ben was Ben was heckled by people, you know, a foot from his face as he as he got on the bus. It's not acceptable. No one has a right to a player's mental health, but their player. So, you know, people think they have this entitlement to talk to somebody just any old way, and that's not right. And unfortunately, there's no clear cut way to, you know. Put a stop to that. So instead, we have to manage it from the other side. You know, what do you read? What don't you read? What do you respond to? What don't you respond to? But I, I you know, I don't want to paint social media as this, you know, purely negative tool because it's not. I, I think it can be used quite effectively to further a player's profile and career.
0: Yeah, I, I think the issue with social media is that it's basically stopped people from using their inner filter. You know, they they just react before they think and. Whatever it is that they had on their mind it's just blurted out on social media, whereas you know in a lot of cases they wouldn't say it to someone's face
1: hundred percent and perhaps the cure for that is is just people have to use their real names on social media to sign up something as simple as that can filter out a lot of the uh, a lot of the trolls honestly
0: yeah uh, I think you're right there now Sammy one of the things that we do is we tend to ask an unscripted question, and this one i'm going to go a little bit different on this one i'm going to ask you out of all the books you've ever read which book do you think best represents sammy
1: great question best represents me um thought you were going to say best represents the life of an athlete i had a great answer for that one <laughs> so i've set my brain power in the wrong direction i'm <laughs> squandered
0: well, you can go with that one if you want to buy yourself a bit of time.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, for, for the record, my answer on that one was Andre Agassi's because that is kind of the epitome of what I was talking about, that you, you know, the unseen struggle. Um, yeah. I think that's a fantastic book that I'd certainly encourage others to read. I mean, I don't want to compare myself to players like, you know, you know to, to any player, really. <laughs> definitely to, to players like um, Michael Jordan or Kobe or, or whatnot. That. There are certainly books, um, some by uh, and Lazenby, about their approach to success or their, their methodology. You know, I internalize a lot of in sort of the pursuit of, of my own career. So, I, you know, they would probably be up there. Uh, what I love to do, Paul, is I love reading the autobiographies of successful people. Um, okay. to learn it. That's That's my passion I, from a reading perspective. I love to learn about the mindset of people who've reached the top, kind of 1% of their field. Because that, that gives me a great insight into, you know, obviously how a lot of my elite athletes tick. It also, you know, also helps me learn, you know, just for me to succeed, you know, some ideas that it, that I can adopt, mindsets, I can adopt routines, I can adopt things like that. So, you know, definitely, you know, and, and that's, that's across all fields. That's not just athletes, the, you know, the, those autobiographies. So that would be my answer on
0: the book front. <laughs> okay, that's cool. And I'd like to round out where, obviously, having gotten to know so many athletes, you must have lots of really amazing stories that you can tell. If you had to pick one, what would be that story? Can you share it with us?
1: Amazing story that I can share. I, I really think that Alex Bunsen's journey is the best story in Australian basketball right now. You know, I've really been fortunate to have been there with Bunsen, you know, kind of the whole way, from when she was playing with Dynamo Moscow in russia you know i remember her and katie Ezri, who was another client of mine an absolute legend were playing over there in denama moscow and i booked a trip to go and visit them as, as i would do when i have a player playing overseas i booked a trip to go and visit them and spend a, you know, a week and a half in russia and, and all that just naturally as i would with any player who was in france or italy or whatnot and um, i have a lot of russian colleagues in my office and they my itinerary came across their desk and so I said well what are, you, what are you doing here? And I said, oh, I'm going to go visit my players. He said in, in Russia. He said, I don't, I don't know if you should, you should do that. That's, you know, the players are kind of kept isolated and they're well looked after, but for, you know, for an Australian agent to just kind of wander around, doesn't speak a word of the language, and, and all that's maybe, uh, maybe not the safest bet. So, uh, you know, I ended up seeing, um, flying to Lithuania for their game a couple of weeks later. I remember. Spent some time over there with, with Katie Ray and, and Bunce. And I was with Bunce when she had a serious knee injury, unfortunately, in Adelaide, you know, several years back. And uh, obviously she, she retired. No one knew what she had gone through during that time. And, and now she's back. If you want to ask my favourite story, you know, my career. I think it's, it's Bunce with Opal by her side, you know, potentially leading the Caps to a WNBL Championship this year. I, I, I really don't know what could be more inspirational than that.
0: So I've got to ask, have you got one of those Bunts T-shirts? That uh, I do. You
1: I do? Was, I absolutely do. I was, uh, I'll be wearing it at their game in Melbourne, uh, I believe, next Saturday night. So <laughs> be very proudly wearing it. And I can't encourage anybody who's listening to contact uh, Emma Groves. And she's done a fantastic job raising money for domestic violence research um an awareness to please, you know, donate, buy T shirts. The signs are fantastic, the T shirts are fantastic and the bunch is fantastic.
0: Yeah, we were in in for some of those as well. There's one for, for every member of, of the shooting the breeze pod <laughs> crew. Um, we couldn't miss out on one of those. They they're great. They're,
1: they're fantastic. The cheap postage while I was in Melbourne I had to take advantage of that and quickly <laughs> snapped one up and I'll uh, I'll be wearing one to the game this week.
0: Okay. Sammy, thanks so much for your time. It's been great talking to you. It's been fantastic listening to everything that you've been able to share with us. And I've got to be honest, as we roll into the the WNBA season, we're definitely going to be trying to do some more uh, with the podcast internationally. So we'd love to get back in touch with you and just find out what's happening in WNBA and, and getting your view on what's happening there.
1: Oh, I'd I'd love to. I'd love to. I'll be back there in the US for the start of the WNBA season and uh, we'll have some Aussies over there and I think it's going to be one of the best WNBA seasons yet.
0: Fantastic. Sammy, thanks so much for your time. Really appreciate it and looking forward to catching up with you soon.
1: Thank you very much for having me on. It's been great.
0: Shooting the Breeze can be found on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify and iHeartRadio. Don't forget to subscribe and share the podcast with all your friends.